Hello, everybody. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman podcast, where every week we talk a little bit about things that can bring us more freedom, more liberation, more joy, or open our minds in some way. And because it's Father's Day, I'm going to do an episode that's specifically around daddies. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Hey, big daddy. Like the whole shebang of how our fathers live in us, what it means to be a good father, what happens if you don't have a good daddy and how you might reparent yourself, Uh, maybe even a look at the evolution of fatherhood, the National Fatherhood Initiative, and lastly, but definitely not least, why we like to say, hey, daddy, in bed, and how it's absolutely not what we think it is at first glance. So I want to start and tell you about my own papa, William, William Mason, brilliant guy. He was a code breaker in the military, spoke many languages, mathematically gifted, master in economics, met my mother, my German mother, when he was on a tour of duty in Europe. And up until I was about eight, he was very rarely around. He was very committed to working, not in the home very much. And then when my mother left and died, he became a very active part of my life. And I can remember specifically sitting at the kitchen table, uh, doing my homework, and he was in the basement. He had established a photography darkroom in the basement. And I'm doing my homework there, waiting for him to emerge. And like you can kind of picture this. There's, there's a handmade do not open sign decorated by a hastily hand-drawn camera hanging on the doorknob for the downstairs steps. And I know he's making magic down there. And finally, I earned the privilege to go down into his lair where there were red light bulbs, the fan humming, and he showed me how to do it all, how to use the special photosensitive paper, work the chemical baths, clip the drying photographs to an overhead line. And it wasn't the only thing he taught me. He taught me how to check the valves on a scuba tank. He was a paddy dive instructor. He taught me how to balance a checkbook, how to pitch a baseball and wield a bat, how to make a decent spaghetti. I mean, on that note, after my mom died, it was like Monday fish sticks, Tuesday spaghetti. It was a Wednesday sloppy joes. It was pretty much the... Um, the dad meals until we figured out a new way. He taught me how to drive defensively, how to make army corners on my bed. And by example, he also taught me how to work, how to be consistent. If I botched a paper or an essay, he'd made me do it again over and over until I got an A. He also yelled for no reason, was pissed at any boyfriend I brought home, protective, angry, you know, all of that stuff. He crushed on my stepmom like a schoolboy, writing love notes and dancing in the kitchen. It was really romantic and musical. My favorite picture of him is one that hung on our dining room wall of him at the Boundary Waters, standing in the middle of a river, dirty and sweaty and muscled and tan, and looking for all the world like he was a wilderness guide so happy in his skin. So William, Billy, this is the man who lives in me. He's half my DNA and a quarter of my children's space. When he died, I was too late to get to his bedside. 
my son Kai was there and he called me and said, Grandpa's not going to make it through the night. I was on my way, but too bad, not going to happen. And a Jesuit friend had told me about a practice of long-distance communication with the dying, where you meet their spirit and consciousness and then send them on their way. So I stopped the car, checked into a Best Western on the California coast, and began this practice. And for what seemed like a very long time, my father and I virtually talked, which was more like sharing flashing images in time-space, a kind of highlight reel of memories between us. I told him I loved him and that he'd been a good dad, that the kids and I were fine and that he could go on with ease and leave the body, which had been really causing him so much pain. And I got the feeling tone back of apology and gratitude. And at a certain point in the meditation, I heard this little pop sound, pop, and I could no longer connect with him. So early the next morning, my son called and said he had slipped into a coma. My dad had slipped into a coma. Uh, at the time I felt him go, at the time I felt that pop incidentally, and he left his body that day. And even though that was a long time ago and he's gone in the body, my dad lives on in my blood and bones and in the gaze that I bring to the world. So I don't know about you, but for a long time I thought I was a thing, like an object that was known as Christine, and lately I don't think that at all anymore. I think. My own identity isn't that of an individual, but I am a process in the mind of creation, that I am a continuation of my parents' line and all the lineages that came before then and arise out of them and I will decline and go back into the earth and someone else might arise out of me. I mean, my kids are arising out of me, so that's already a given, although not that way for everyone. But that I'm, I'm like this continually improving process and that if I myself and the next generation continue to work with uh, the whole history of humanity that's baked into our genetic imprint to try to be a little bit more fulfilled, resolute, on purpose, harmonious, clear, loving, happier, if I try to feel the things they couldn't feel move them through me, that I have a chance not only to transform my own experience of life, but to transform the inherited legacies um, of their experiences of life that are still clouding my reality. So as I think about my dad, like what was good and what was bad, and I think about my own children's father and stepfather, I, I notice I have a lot of stories and expectations about what a good dad is about. And so I wanted to do some research to check my expectations, like what is a good father and what is a not good father according to the research. I mean, I know what I like to see in my personal life, that my brother Dirk, who is a phenomenal dad, uh, who, who drops everything to protect and care for his children, or my friend Colin, who painstakingly teaches his daughter the simple lessons of living, patient and supportive and but was I right? Like I noticed, for example, I have the expectation that a good father respects and loves and honors the mother so that the kids know what it means to grow up in a loving, joyful home where men and women not only get along, but deeply marvel at each other. And of course, I know this is very heterosexually focused. I mean, let's say it's two moms or two dads, but that if that, that the two parents deeply respect and, and marvel at each other's beingness. 
And that even if the parents won't be a couple, but only co-parents, that the children grow up seeing respect between those that bore them or brought them into the world. And obviously, it's often not that way, because we wouldn't have the world we have, I believe, with so much gender violence or people crying out with a longing for love if that was the case. So I do want to step aside before the research and appreciate the fathers that are changing the model of how men and women relate to one another in the family and consciously raising their daughters and sons in the same kind of respect. Every dad that chooses to be a part of this reformation of the family moves us farther away from gender antagonism, from violence in general, and uh, into a world that praises life in all of its forms. I think you know my teacher, Mark Whitwell, if you've been listening for any length of time. He writes that mother implies father. Mother cannot be considered without father nor father without mother because the female-male collaboration is the nurturing force of all life. Mother with father is the one nurturing force and source. So let's take a pause here and consider how does your father live in you? How is he still showing up? You know, for me, my dad shows up in great ways, like a deep love of athleticism in the outdoors and a deep loyalty to my children. And he shows up in some not so great ways, like criticism and judgmentalism and perfectionism. And I'm still working with some of that stuff. How does my father live in and as me? I want to go now into a conversation on what happens when dads aren't showing up in the way they could. Uh, let's talk about daddy issues. Isn't it weird? A weird term like that you would have daddy issues or the child would have daddy issues in some way when it's the daddy who has issues and the child's just like dealing with the aftermath. Daddy issues kind of refers to a basket of potential themes. An absent or neglectful father, for one, will produce in the child feelings of abandonment, low self-esteem, possibly difficulties forming trusting relationships later on, overbearing or controlling fathers. Authoritarian dads can lead to feelings of rebellion or resentment in the child or a struggle to establish independence and autonomy. Emotionally distant or unresponsive dads can result in difficulties with emotional intimacy, trust issues, uh, difficulties in forming healthy attachments, particularly if there was little warmth or affection in the relationship. And then you get into unhealthy or abusive father-child relationships. Uh, if you've grown up in an environment where there are physical, emotional, or verbal abuse from the dad, it can have super long-lasting effects on self-esteem, self-worth, mental well-being, and even on the brain, like the verbal processing centers, reading, writing, listening, being able to attune in children who've been verbally abused by their parent is are significant, sometimes three to four years of developmental delays in verbal processing. You just can't take it in. It's a helpful adaptation. You can't take in that kind of, uh, of abuse, and so you shut down that perceptual filter. So what about the opposite? What does the research say about successful dads? Um, how do we close the fatherhood gap between those guys and good daddies. I joke that because I didn't have a really 
strong relationship with my mom that I had to use TV moms like Carol Brady to learn how to be a good mom. You can also do the same thing with TV dads. Like there are some TV dads who just kind of show the model of what it means to be a good father. But here's what the research says. A great father sets aside dedicated time each day to engage in activities with his children, such as playing games, reading books, going for a walk, or simply having meaningful conversation. Actively listens, maintains eye contact, asks follow-up questions to show genuine interest and support, expresses his love and appreciation for his children through verbal affirmations, hugs, or other small gestures, encourages his children to take on age-appropriate responsibilities, such as completing chores or making decisions, which helps foster independence and confidence. A great father helps with homework, offering guidance, explaining concepts, and showing patience during the learning process. He establishes clear boundaries and rules for his children to create a structured environment. He consistently enforces these boundaries while also explaining the reasons behind them. He respects his child's bodily autonomy. He respects the child's mother. Never belittles, badgers, bullies, or is emotionally harmful to his children. Takes an active interest in his children's education. Attends school performances, sports events, and shows support for any extracurricular activities. And he models behavior and values that are supportive like honesty, respect, kindness, and responsibility in the family and in his interactions with others. He models sobriety and self-control. And then, of course, and this to me might be one of the most important components, is he establishes family traditions like weekly movie nights or regular outings or celebrations. He shares himself with his children. There's a quality of transparency where he shows what he's interested in, what he loves, what he's reading. He shares his own delights. So it's a big job. It's a real job. It's a really important role. Like I I read once that if you are an expectant father, the only thing that you are responsible for doing is to clear your own father issues and to really look at your life so that you can be present for these young beings that you're raising, that you're committing to. There are surveys on why it's hard, like what, what dads worry about the most and where we might have empathy. Like the tremendous financial pressure that dads feel to provide for a family and manage financial obligations, uh, job security, financial stability, bills, saving for their kids' future, always heavily on their minds. Uh, Balancing work commitments and time with their kids or with their wife or personal well-being, these are also things that weigh heavily on them. Dads worry about the same things mom worries about. They worry about gun violence. They worry about their children never developing a sense of self-esteem. They worry about bullying. Uh, They worry about their kids' uh, failure launch. They have those same kind of doubts. And they have a lot of expectations now that are newly evolved around what it means to be a good father, uh, meeting all of the perceived standards of success in their lives, like parenting, career, and personal achievements are part of their reality. And here's a quote on emotional support. Many fathers struggle with finding emotional support networks and outlets to express their own feelings and concerns. The societal expectation that men should be stoic and strong can sometimes discourage fathers from seeking emotional support. You know, here are just some general things that any dad who's worth their salt is probably concerned about. 
So I love this quote from Umberto Eco in Foucault's Pendulum. I believe that what we become depends on what our fathers teach us at odd moments, when they aren't trying to teach us. We are formed by little scraps of wisdom. And that kind of gets us to a shift over the last many centuries in how fathers are showing up, like the structure of our family life. In pre-industrial societies, fathers often work closer to home and were more present in their children's lives compared to the industrial era. And families worked together on farms or in small communities, and dads had more direct involvement with their children on a day-to-day basis. They played a more hands-on role in teaching their kids essential skills, like farming, hunting, crafts. They were known to one another just through mere proximity. And you see that in the Industrial Revolution and the rise of factories and urbanization, many dads left their homes for long hours to work in distant industrial centers. So they weren't there in their kids' lives. Like for a lot of kids, dad put on a overalls or he put on a suit in the morning and he was gone and he came back home and you had no idea, like it was a black box reality, what he did all day. And that separation between work and family life and a greater reliance on mothers as primary caregivers and they then later stand-in caregivers as primary caregivers for both parents um, have really shifted the way family dynamics worked. And now you see a movement cross-culturally for the education, the re-education, the reintegration of fathers. There's a really wonderful organization uh, called fatherhood.org. They run the National Fatherhood Initiative. And I'm going to read you just a little blurb from their website because when you read it, you go, oh, uh uh-huh, that's right. They say, it's a commonly held belief by moms and dads alike that fathers are extremely important to child well-being, and there's tons of research to prove it. But the fact remains that millions of families interact with human service organizations every year that are primarily mother-focused. These organizations need resources, training, and technical assistance to be intentionally and proactively father-inclusive. National Fatherhood Initiative comes alongside human service organizations and community to help with father engagement training, fatherhood program curriculum, and other educational materials to help them and the families they serve fully realize the tremendous positive impact involved fathers can have on children and families because every community can benefit from increased father involvement. So if you want to learn more about that, go to fatherhood.org. All right, let's switch context completely. And let's talk about the use of the term daddy in the bedroom or doing sexual activity. What's that about? Like, when did that happen? I read that women calling men daddy during sex actually has nothing to do with family. Like, just like you call your beloved baby or bae, uh, you're definitely not feeling like their parent when you're saying that. It's just sort of echoing some of the characteristics of that core relationship. And in this case, it's, you're the one for me, you're the only man that I care about, it's you're surrendering to their strength, it's acknowledging the protector archetype, caretaker, the boss, it's acknowledging that he's in charge in some way, and all of that can be a mutual turn-on, like for some men it's really emboldening and empowering and uplifting. And for some women, it's really nice to feel cared for and protected and 
and um, and dominated to a certain extent. So there's this interesting combination of power play and protectiveness and innocence and, and being cared for that can come out of that. In gay and in straight cultures, daddy can carry various meanings. It can be age and experience, like a daddy that's older than his partner and may have more life experience and wisdom. Although, if you use that terminology, age is sometimes fluid, even if you're the same age or your age reversed, calling someone that is kind of in a hypnotic trance to put yourself back in that age dynamic. The second one is a true dominance and submission kind of relationship, where the daddy's kind of a dominant figure and the younger partner or the female partner takes on a more submissive role. Uh, and then there's the emotional connection, that this is one of the uh, emblematic of one of the strongest relationships of your life. And if it's done well, it's stability, it's protective, it's supporting, and then it can be used in a really playful and affectionate way. Uh, it can be used in a playful and affectionate way, even outside of sexuality, like, hey, daddy, uh, is kind of a sweet way to engage, like I trust you and I feel you and I respect you and I dig you. So if that's coming up for you, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll link in the show notes to a history of this term's use in sugar daddy terms and papa and poppy terms and in dad and daddy and how they're different and basically leave you with this uh, phrase that says if someone over the age of 12 is using the word daddy, you can be sure there's a little something else there. So, start to finish, how do our fathers live in us? What is our relationship to having had a good dad or a bad dad? What does it mean to be a good dad? How do we encourage that in our communities and among the men we know? How do we heal our own wounds around the father, if that's a thing? And then how do we come to terms with the way this relationship lives inside of us in our most intimate, sensual, and sexual encounters. How does this relationship with the protective, loving, nurturing, badass, masculine live in us? So with those thoughts, happy Father's Day. May you follow your pleasure. May you be whole. May you be happy. May you be complete. And emanate that out to everyone you come into contact with. If you like this episode, please share it. You can reach me on Instagram at the.rose.woman. And if you want to chit-chat about any of these topics, send me a DM. If you like the podcast in general, please subscribe. It's brought to you by Rosebud Woman, which, by the way, has some pretty great products that men love also, including our Arouse Stimulating Serum, which is fantastic for increased sensation during sexual encounters for men and men, men and women, women and women, just a fantastic whole plant product. And again, you can find that and many other beautiful intimate care, body care, and intimate wellness products at rosewoman.com.